0: On today's episode, Christina's Run Smarter success story. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast. The podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers We have another run smarter success story very popular with listeners i get a lot of feedback to get more of them so lovely to have christina share her story today a good story of someone who's just taken their rehab and decided to take control take stuff into their own hands learn more about their injury start implementing the lessons they learn and the outcome at the end i talked through. This particular story with Christina, there's a ton of insights, which is what I love about these episodes. I say it all the time, but no matter what type of injury you have, there's a lot of lessons you can take away from other success stories that is very applicable to any running related injury. And so we, we cover a whole bunch of stuff today. Christina actually jumped on a um, free injury chat, as you're well aware. Because of the ads that I put on the podcast and what I talk about, uh, I offer free 20-minute injury chats. There's always a link in every show note of every episode in case you wanted to check out my calendar, book in a free injury chat and start talking about these things. So Christina went and done that, gained some insights, just gave her a little nudge, and away she went learning uh, other insights and learning other things. Um, details about her injury which was primarily a proximal hamstring issue which we'll talk about and yeah just ran with it built up her knowledge built up her running IQ and started implementing all these things Um, a book update as you may well be aware if you are in the Facebook group or following me on social media I did a little sneak peek of the book this week Um, I put forth the 10 chapters in part one of the book so there are three parts but Um, the part one, I thought I'd just give a little sneak peek about the chapter titles and all the subtitles within that chapter as well. Pretty much like revolving around the 10 universal principles that I have in the first 10 episodes of the podcast. If you haven't listened to those 10 episodes, even now I'm getting new listeners who have gone back and listened and it's just been revolutionary for them. But a bit more of a 2022 update on those because I did write those out and think through them 3 years ago and I'm my understanding is so much different to what it is now. And so, yes, chapter 1 adaptation education going through finding your own adaptation zone, what it is, how to hack it, how to really utilize the principles to, you know, use the uh, adaptation to your best advantage. We learn about chapter 2 which is like stress science trying to le- work out the principles of load versus capacity which relates back to every running-related injury and every recovery. Um, chapter three, detecting and managing early signs of injury. I think that's really key principle for injury prevention. Chapter four is looking at the facts, separating facts from fiction, talking a lot about misconceptions. My top favorite, running misconceptions, debunking a lot of those. Um, chapter five, we dive into running technique to reduce your risk of injury because part one is all these chapters dedicated to reducing your risk of injury because we know that runners it's a very very popular topic around runners chapter six some basic training principles we talk about like the 10 percent rule the 80 20 distribution learning to run slow train smarter avoid the intensity gray zone all these sorts of things that i've talked about on the podcast before just probably in a little bit more depth chapter seven hidden da- hidden dangers the pain rest weakness downward spiral chapter eight When is it best to rest? When is it best to run or continue running when you do have um, discomfort or pain or injury? Chapter nine covers strength training and cross-training, looking at insights, if you're injured, if you're not injured, if you wanna reduce your risk of injury, what are some cross-training alternatives? Chapter 10, some personality traits and and injury risk, talking about the self-sabotaging runner, talking about runners who strive for perfection, those who have a bit more of an optimistic outlook on their recovery all of these sort of things coping strategies as well very insightful and this is only part one of the book I have part two which I'll probably put uh, post another sneak peek of all these chapters and subtitles um next week just to Boost up the excitement because I'm ready to share this with the world and it's very much underway. So now that it's a bit more concrete of what the layout is, I can start delivering these sneak peeks. I've had my book um, illustrator who's looking at the front cover of the book send me some rough drafts two days ago and we're getting some back and forth on you know what might be best. I'm talking with a interior book designer tomorrow to talk about the layouts and the formats of the book everything's coming together at a very fast pace. So, um, looking forward to giving you those updates. I'll let you know when, I don't know when the book's going to be available. I don't know, um, those specifics, but I'll let you know on the podcast. If you are on my email list, the email list will probably be the first to know, um, just because I can quickly get that out. Uh, I would definitely would put it on Facebook and social media, but sometimes that doesn't reach you straight away. So, that's why I usually prefer people jump on the the email list because not only do you get emails to to boost your running wisdom, running IQ every week, but it also is just a notification straight into your inbox. And yeah, I think that's that's usually the best. But I'll I'll put it out there, and if it gets to you, gets to you, um, if anything, you'll listen to the podcast for the updates, and it might not be as Instantaneous. There may be a little bit of delay when you start listening to podcasts because I have to record it, then it has to be scheduled, and then you have to listen to it. So there's a bit of a, a, log, a bit of a delay there. Nonetheless, um, yeah, excited to to start doing some of these sneak peeks and getting you excited, and then getting you to read the book. Um, it's moving very very quickly. All right, let's dive into our success story with Christina. Let's dive into learning about you before we talk about this uh, success story and talking about your training habits and injuries and that sort of thing. So um, can you just take it away, introducing where you're from and I guess what type of like athletic endeavors you have and what your athletic career was like growing up?
1: Oh, sure. So I'm Christina, I'm 41. I'm a mom of two boys and I actually live in Sicily, which is in the south of Italy um, I wasn't super athletic growing up, but I always swam, and actually was a lifeguard for quite a while um, in high school and then university. But um, I actually started running when, after my second son was born, as a way to get fit and uh, you know stay in shape and, and lose some of the the extra weight from the baby. And I just uh, I started slowly. Um, I started walking, actually, and every week I would incorporate like five minutes of running until I got up to about an hour. And after it became easy, I, I guess I caught the bug and sure. I made some running friends. And I started running on a daily basis and trying to do long runs and um, being more experimental with the routes and stuff like that. Uh, Recently, I also took up going to the gym. So twice a week, I'll go to the gym and do some weight training. And then um, I also have a stationary bike that I use once in a while.
0: Nice. And how long ago was your initial introduction into running when you started doing that walk running?
1: Um, Initially, probably four four to
0: five years ago. Mm -hmm. And leading up to... I guess we'll talk about um, the changes that you've had and like the successes you've had with your um, running and that sort of stuff. But prior to that, because we did jump onto an injury chat and had to, how to talk about your uh, your history and your injuries and that sort of stuff. Could you maybe just update the listeners on your injury history and how that all unraveled?
1: Oh, sure. So, um <clears throat> I I didn't know anything about running when I started. I just did it, you know, uh, totally recreationally just for fun. So I had no idea that there was a running culture out there or um, that there was so much know-how available out there. So um, I I started running pretty consistently. Um, First little injury I got was um, on my Achilles, a little tendonitis. And I just followed my running friend's advice to stop running and um uh i did some cross training on the bike but that's about it i didn't uh you know i did the the traditional icing and all of that stuff cuz i i didn't know much um and i managed to get back into running after after a while um and everything seemed to go pretty well um after that because i think in the end i managed to keep it quite gradual um just just uh, just because, um, uh, you know, running with friends and things, so we, we weren't too competitive in any way. We would just go at a pretty easy pace normally. Um, and then lockdown happened, and we were forced, here in Italy anyways, we were forced to actually stop running completely for at least a month, if not more. We just couldn't go outside. So I tried to keep active and that. In that sense, by uh, doing some skipping, but there was not much I could really do. I did some home workouts, but uh, nothing, I guess, compared to the the trauma of running. and And so, after the lockdown, when we all started running again, um, you know, we found it pretty difficult to to regain that running fitness for whatever reason. But um, we were pretty eager, so uh, I guess we, you know, we pushed it and. We, we slowly got back up to our previous levels doing long runs and, and whatnot, but um, I think between a combination of a lack of rest and, and just too fast, uh, you know, increasing everything too fast, I started to feel some uh, pain in my forefoot, which I didn't think much about. And I kept running for many months on that forefoot um, until one day um, in December I decided, okay, that's enough, I can't run anymore, it's just too painful. Um, so I stopped running and decided to look into it a bit more, um, and I got a bunch of misdiagnoses there, uh, some people saying it was, um, uh, it was basically forefoot pain, just, uh, ran- like, not random, but <clears throat> general forefoot pain, and nobody really had me look into it more, um, until uh, one doctor told me I should get an MRI, and they discovered I had a stress fracture. So (laughs) that put me out, Uh, another eight months after that, I stopped running with that stress fracture. Um, And I think it probably must have healed before the eight months, but um, after listening to all of those pain episodes on your podcast, realized that um, (laughs) probably there was some, I don't know if it's phantom pain or it was the psychological component to the pain that actually, Kept me from returning to running sooner. Um, so I guess you would say this is a typical boom-bust cycle. After, <laughs> after, <laughs> after, <laughs> after all of that, I started running again. This time, I had a bit of advice from a, a sports physio online. So she was able to um, uh, educate me on the importance of returning gradually. So I started with a really gradual, like run-walk program, and took forever to build up to 20 minutes of slow running but I was I was fine with that as long as I you know I didn't feel any pain in my foot and so I increased gradually from there I tried to keep the increase again pretty pretty gradual tried to skip days instead of running every day Um, until the point where I was almost back to my previous um, mileage let's say at that point I uh, what I did was I I must have thrown caution to the wind because I thought, okay, I'm in the clear. And so I just started building up the kilometers uh, much faster and, you know, trying to um, make my long run longer. And I did it all kind of together in the same space of a few weeks. And after I had the the injury chat with you, Brody, I, I looked back at my notes, actually, and I realized that I had totally spiked um a bunch of different components of the running, uh, but it hadn't occurred to me previously so um uh, so what happened is I ended up getting um a huge swelling in my knee um after a after a long run after this bike and training, which wasn't immediately before it was in the in the weeks building up to this next injury, so I got my knee was uh, totally. Um, swollen and so I guess I, I had the traditional runner's knee some liquid at the back of the knee I had also had a kinda of pulling sensation in the back of my hamstring and lower back which had been kinda of constantly bothering me but I didn't think too much of it and I was just um, trying to take care of it with foam rolling and things like that so at this point um, went to my family doctor she told me to stop running she told me to take <laughs> some total rest uh, she told me to take some cortisone actually and um, she suggested for for the pain on the back of the hamstring that I might have had uh, sciatica and so um, that was the information I got at that point point. Um, and that's when I had the the injury um, chat with you at that point
0: just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge this is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Mm. Can I ask, you said that when you started getting the forefoot pain, that it, once you eventually decided, once the injury got so bad that you had to stop running, that was eight months off. Um, was that because you were in pain for that period of time or just because you were too apprehensive to return to running after that diagnosis of a stress fracture?
1: Oh, uh, so after I got it diagnosed, no, I felt pain. I, um, I, I had said to myself, okay, I'm going to take some time off, uh, try to discover what the problem is. And, um, and then after, after I got the diagnosis, I, uh, I said to myself, well, I'm going to return to running only when you know, the pain um, is gone. Mm. But uh, <laughs> I think what happened, uh, I'm, I'm guessing, what happened um, as probably in many injuries is after having a certain pain for such a long time, you um, just unconsciously kind of become protective of that uh, area. And uh, so you protect it, and maybe part of, part of the pain is, is actually in your head in a way, or it's just like you've learned that it's painful, so uh, it just continues to linger, um, because I can't explain it otherwise. I mean, you know, most broken limbs, uh, which are actually fractured, take much less time to heal than eight months. So I couldn't wrap my head around, you know, eight minutes off running for a) um, a stress fracture.
0: The other thing, it's good like laying out your training history and seeing like almost every time there was a spike in training, but there was a correlation to no injury when there when there was no spike in training. Um, I was curious to hear back when you said that uh, things started ramping up around that knee swelling. What was like your typical weekly mileage or like how many days were you running? Um, because you also mentioned that you were turning to things maybe just doing things too much, but also a bit of a lack of rest as well. And so what was like the typical week looking like?
1: Um, Okay, so I had set myself up um, thinking that I was going to avoid injury um, this time around by um, going to the gym twice a week. And so I was kind of thinking of the gym as a kind of rest day from running, but I didn't consider the fact that, you know, when when you do a heavy gym day, uh, that itself you actually need you know some some decent rest from that um and so I was trying to do um i guess i was i was working out six days a week so twice um twice a week going to the gym and then uh four days a week running uh which would include a long run um, and usually I was trying to work up i had worked up to eighteen kilometers and then um tried to do like one speedier session per week as well. Uh, I was I was trying to focus on some temple work as opposed to s- true speed intervals at that time. So kilometers I had worked up to about 50 kilometers a week or so, um, but I think I underestimated the toll that the gym work had taken on my body. Just um, sometimes uh, muscles being sore. And so the next day the run, you know, Uh, I did the run in a kind of tired state kind of I would do it slow but uh, I would still be quite fatigued from the gym and then it's just that overall sense of fatigue that I think now I've learned that needs to at some point leave your body (laughs) that you can't leave Uh. with that constant um, that constant feeling of fatigue because uh, that's what it is that's part of what creates the state where you're uh, you're more susceptible to injury yeah so yeah
0: a good insight there I, because yes you know feeling fatigue is okay sometimes but if it's carrying over multiple days and then the majority of the week that's not how you, you want to spend most of your time being quite fresh like exercising um, with quite a, a low intensity and being able to feel fresh for the harder efforts or like you know the high intensity sort of moments in the week and considering that gym is yes a, a fact of loading and But so is everything else in the week outside of training. It's it's a important lesson for a lot of runners that it's not just your running. Your body doesn't recognize the difference if you have a gym workout, if you have a, a running workout, or some other cross training, or maybe you're spending all day on your feet at work, or um, you have like a manual labor job. All those sort of things just compound over time and needs to be factored into recovery and um, overall weekly load. So it's a pretty good insight there. Um, and so we had our injury chat and you were talking about all these several injuries and it seems like um, going back after that injury chat and seeing all the, I guess, spikes in training loads through your your logs. um, Could you identify anything else or was that just like the main realization after that chat?
1: Yeah, I guess uh, those were the two things. I look back um, on the weeks and weeks before um, this injury happened and I realized that even though I had told myself I was going to take one total day of rest per week, some weeks it didn't really happen because I I was like, okay, well it's a rest day, so you know I could do a recovery run, or you know I would just um, I would just insert something else in there that I considered to be pretty low intensity. But you know I'm 41, so I think the concept of taking a total rest day or even two um is probably a good idea you know and um as you said it's not only your workouts that contribute to your overall fatigue i mean it's just your regular life i live in um, a traditional sicilian house um, that we renovated which has four floors so um and i have two kids so i'm constantly up and down the stairs the entire day you know and i don't even consider that as part of anything but you know, it contributes to your overall fatigue, I, I would say. So, you know, we need to consider our regular lives as well as part of the, um, the equation. So I had noticed, yeah. yeah, that just total lack of rest. And also, you know, um, at that point I had kind of gotten a bit frustrated with how gradual I was, I was trying to increase my kilometers. And so all of a sudden I decided to um, both increase my weekly kilometers and increase the long run. Um, so just wasn't smart, but I hadn't seen it until you, you asked me about it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, you know, the data is there for a lot of people. A lot of people log their, their workouts and, um, things like Strava and Garmin, they have, you know, this is how you're tracking week by week. And it's very easy to follow, but not a lot of people pay attention to it, or they think that they're on the right track and think they're doing the right thing. Um, until they look back and say, you know what, that was probably, not that sensible or not that smart.
1: Yeah, exactly. Sometimes you really need to be looking for the trend um, because otherwise you're just like, well, I'm just increasing, you know, a couple kilometers here, uh, long run by a couple of kilometers. It's not a big deal, but it's when you really look at the whole picture when you're looking for it, that's when you see it.
0: Hmm. And so you had this knee pain or knee swelling and then it also developed into this hamstring issue um, how else, like did the symptoms kind of develop or change or become different as the weeks went on? Um, uh,
1: you mean after we had spoken? Yeah,, uh, yeah, so um one thing that you had mentioned to me was, um after after asking me some questions, uh, you had mentioned that it didn't seem to be uh, sciatica, but instead, uh, maybe it was the high hamstring tendon. Um, and so once I had that information, um, I decided to change what I was trying to do uh, for that issue. So uh, up until that point, I had been doing some yoga stretches uh, for sciatica, which involved a lot of um, hamstring stretching. And then I had been doing some foam rolling just of my own accord, uh, trying to get rid of the, the lower kind of lower back pain and the, and the hamstring uh, pain that I had. Uh, once you had given me the information that it was likely uh, a tendon issue, um, I thought, OK, so <laughs> maybe I'm going to change the approach. And I um, I looked up some information online about this um, um, high hamstring uh, tendonitis, I guess. And I found um, that I was doing all the wrong things. So <laughs> I decided uh-huh. to, um, <laughs> to try. Uh, um, I found an article which outlined um, Progressive loading for that hamstring, and which suggested, of course, that I needed to stop the stretching. And I decided to just of my own accord um, try to follow the, the progression because I was familiar with many of the exercises, having gone to the gym. And so that's what I did. And I found immediately um, relief from um, having stopped uh, the stretching. That was uh, a, huge, a huge relief, actually. I think it had been irritating it. And I also found um, uh, amazing relief from doing the initial isometric um, type of exercises for the tendon, like the um, the glute bridges, um, long lever bridge, and the one leg uh, bridge holds. Um, I found actually that those work really well for pain relief. And I, yeah, I my t- my um, pain improved quite a bit uh, with that, and I decided okay, I don't need to maybe spend months in each stage, Um, likely, you know, I caught this in time because of Brody, right? So I uh, continued progressing the exercises. And um, according to this article I had found, so then I I started to do some um, heavy hamstring curls, um, trying to maintain good form, but um, trying to load it as much as I could. And then after that, um, inserting some more exercises with uh, the hamstring kind of in a stretch. So some basic uh, deadlifts on two legs, uh, things like that. And now I'm at the point where I've started doing exercises like the um, uh, kettlebell swings. Um, I've tried the Nordic exercises, uh, things like that. And I find that um, as Brody has had suggested, taking an experimental approach, seeing how the tendon felt the next day um, has worked for me really well. So I'm, I'm really pleased with, with the, the progress that I've made on, on that issue. It's been really helpful. Excellent.
0: And well done for seeking out the, the information yourself as well, finding those articles and those exercises to do, and then progressing things and making sure that you know you're not just complacent with one exercise because I know it's quite common for people to find exercises that are helpful say your bridges and single leg bridge or long lever bridges and have such success that they just stick to those three exercises and then keep those three exercises for several months and without that progression um, it's very hard to reach that full recovery at that stage when you were you know Uh, reading these articles in like giving yourself more information about um, proximal hamstring tendinopathy, were you also still running? Um, Were you still trying to find out what mileage or running dosage you could handle?
1: Oh yeah. So that's another thing that um, I've learned both from the injury chat and also from the podcast is that um, stopping running completely is not actually necessary um, depending on your pain level. So I used that um, knowledge both, um, both to return uh, to running from the knee issue that I had had, as well as um, to manage this hamstring uh, problem that I had had. So, keeping in mind that some level of discomfort during the run was okay, I um, instead of stopping completely, I decided to continue with a low um, low level of kilometers at the beginning and see how the tendon felt the next day uh, or see how the knee felt the next day in that case as well. And I found that's been really helpful because, um, as you know, uh, (laughs) running is just uh, so important mentally for many people and so that was a big part of it for me. And it also um, kept me more positive just being able to continue running um, instead of completely stopping running as I had for the stress fracture. Um, And I managed to do that slowly, increasing the kilometers um, and kind of evaluating how the pain was uh, the following day. Um, I did have little discomfort, um, mainly after a run. And what I would do is I would do the isometric um, holds after the run. I found that extremely helpful. And I found that if I had a little bit of tightness after a run, those holds uh, were awesome. And I would just actually be pain-free after after doing those. So come back from the run, uh, do the holds and then shower. And I was good to go.
0: Yeah. It's sometimes good to know, particularly with tendons, that there is that, uh, what we call this analgesic effect when doing a loading, sometimes isometrics, but it's not necessarily um, exclusive to isometrics. Sometimes just loading, slow, heavy loading can have that same analgesic effect and reduce pain levels, which if someone has um, hamstring tendon issues or Achilles, um, those sort of issues, or even like some knee um, tendon issues that even loading those tendons before a run can actually help symptoms during the run. And then if you repeat that afterwards, that can like sort of keep pain levels within acceptable limits. Um, So that means your dosage might be a little bit higher, means you might be able to run a little bit further. And so it's really good that you've had that experience and can sort of share that if you did though, if you did some loading afterwards that that analgesic effect did, um, did come into play. And also that you had the hamstring and the knee, you're sort of using the same pain guidance and the, the pain level principles to, to manage both injuries at once. And just using your judgment with both of those injuries, just to see what you can get away with. It's um it's good to know. And one thing that's, particularly one variable with the running, I guess, when it comes to PHT is the speed work can be particularly demanding, you know, spike quite a high demand for the hamstring can sometimes be irritated for, uh, for those who try and increase their speed. Were you still doing some of those, uh, intensity sessions, or did you experiment a little bit with running speed?
1: Um, just recently. Uh, so I, I hadn't been because I knew I had read, uh, as part of this article on PHT that, Um, things like hill running or uh, speedier sessions might be what would um, irritate the tendon. So having read that, I decided just to do concentrate on uh, pretty slow running um, just because I had had all of these different issues. And so just to take it easy. But recently, um, I've started uh, incorporating strides at the end of some of the runs. And I've been loving those uh, because I love running fast. And I found that um, the strides themselves haven't really irritated the tendon uh, too much and whatever irritation I might have had has been taken care of by doing the loading, as you said, after a run. So I'm pretty happy with that. And I think um, slowly I'll, I'll, um, I'll now try to incorporate some more uh, tempo style running um, as well as the strides. So uh, yeah, I'm completely happy. <laughs>
0: I think it might be helpful um, for people to know what your first introduction to the strides were, like how many repeats you did, like how, how fast were you sort of gauging, um, and you know what sort, of, what sort of method you were using to, to incorporate strides.
1: Yeah, so uh, many times I'll run at a local soccer field, football field, um, and uh, one long side to the other is 100 meters. So I, the first time I tried it, I was really cautious because I didn't know how I would feel afterwards. So I decided to just start with two. Um, and basically, you know, you just start, start running slowly so that it's not like a sprint from the start. And um, you work yourself up, they say, to 90%. I'm not totally convinced I go 90. I probably go more <laughs> in the middle of the stride, Okay. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, the key, I think, uh, for me is to decelerate slowly so that um, you know, there's not a lot of jarring uh, running at the end of it. So I started with two of those. And I found that the next day I was fine. And so I've just been increasing the number of strides from there. Um, I'm up to about five strides right now.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Um, while we're on that topic, uh, what else have you returned to? Like, what are your symptoms currently like? And, um, what's your, your mileage and those sorts of things.
1: Okay. So symptoms, um, yeah, my, the only symptoms I have now from the hamstring are, um, would be again, after, um, after a longer run, uh, perhaps I would be a little tight or, um, sometimes a bit of soreness. Uh, for example, yesterday I went to the gym and I did some kettlebell swings and I, I also found another exercise that I did, which was the, the split squat, the Bulgarian split squat. I found that was kind of painful during and I was a little sore after, but um, last night I did some, uh, some of the isometric holds and I felt totally fine. Um, I no longer am in discomfort when sitting on the couch at night uh, watching TV, whereas I used to actually have to prop myself up with a million pillows just to try to get rid of that kind of achy, dull pain in in the hamstring and the lower back. Um, In terms of what I'm back to, um, I'm back to the gym once a week instead of twice to give myself an extra rest day. And then another time during the week, I'll try to do some deadlifts at home with some weight um, so that I avoid going to the gym for an entire other gym session but I do keep those hamstring exercises in there and then in terms of kilometers um, back to about uh, 25 or so kilometers a week so still pretty low but I'm trying to keep, um, keep a long view like just take it slow and not be in a rush to get back um, to my previous um, kilometers so quickly because I know what happened last time. So to <laughs> yeah. be smarter. Do you have
0: a particular method that you're doing in terms of how many days per week and what your mileage builds up looks like? Are you following a particular formula?
1: Um, initially I had decided to, um, so I'm, I'm running with my husband at the moment. We had decided on a three day a week plan and we had done like uh, we had started about four kilometers per per day, and uh, we we worked ourselves up kind of one kilometer per week, which may have been a little bit too much. I'm not sure. Um, so we were doing um, four kilometers per run, and then the next week five, um, and the next week six, and so on. We had built ourselves up to ourselves up to about eight kilometers per run. Um, but I wasn't feeling that great at that point, so, um, I had remembered in the back of my mind that episode about uh, frequency in terms of adaptation for the body, and so I decided to change, um, change it up a little bit and see how, see how I felt. I decided to, you know, shorten the runs by a little bit and, um, add an extra run day in. And I've been feeling pretty happy with that, actually, because um, sometimes I think it's the, the extra, the, the end part of the run where you're tired, which is what um, might irritate you more. Um, instead, if you're, if you're fresher and the next day you go for a run, I felt um, overall just better adding an extra day in and keeping the runs a little shorter.
0: I can tell you've listened to a lot of these Episodes, and you've really started changing a lot of the ways you're you're implementing your running. Because I can almost see myself talking back at me with what you're saying. (laughs) Because everything that I'm thinking, that you're actually implementing. So it's good to see that you know you've absorbed yourself with this information, but you're also committed to executing on those those lessons.
1: Yeah, it's been completely helpful. In fact, um, I know when I um, when you contacted me to see how I was going after. I was, uh, you know, totally complimentary and I was um, I was quite happy um, because it's not every day that you run into a podcast that can help you in so many ways and is so insightful. In fact, I of course, I I had discovered your podcast um, not too long ago, and so I did uh, only recently go back and listen to the first 10 episodes, which actually I found um, they might seem really obvious, but they're actually uh, really important. tips and information that a runner might, uh, might not know really, uh, much, many, many of the things I didn't know, even in terms of this, um, the frequency and, um, in terms of helping your adaptation. So it's been totally great.
0: Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad it's had such an impact. Well, I did have the question written down here. Um, what changes did you make that had the biggest impact? I think we've probably covered everything that, um, you may have had written down but anything else that you wanted to add on that particular question
1: um so let me see what i had written down here um yeah there's there's the mental side as well and i think um uh that's that's kind of been important um just that knowledge that um you're able to run with some pain and that the way that you're the way that your brain kind of talks to you, or you talk to your brain, in terms of the pain that you're feeling, uh, for me has made a really big difference, and it's made me feel more in control of the whole process. Whereas in the previous times, you know, if you, if I would have been running and felt a bit of pain, you immediately go into a kind of panic mode. Um, your brain starts, you know, saying these things. Um, you know, oh no, I'm injured again, uh, I've done it again, I need to stop, um, <laughs> this pain means that, you know, I'm probably, you know, breaking down. Um, and instead being in control of the whole process and even if I felt a little bit of pain on a run, for example, in my knee, knowing what I was doing and saying, saying being able to say to myself, you know, uh, I'm strong, my tendons are strong, I can do this, I know what I'm doing. Um, has just been yeah so helpful for me. And it's like, um, just mentally is, uh, has been really great. Um, and I think it's the mental side of things is um, probably not something that people think about a lot or talk about a lot, but it mm. makes a, a huge difference even in, in terms of pain, I would say.
0: Yeah, and it's the fact that you've uh, learned so much and you've learned you you know you've started reading articles, you started watching videos, you started listening to the podcasts and all that sort of thing to to gain the best information that makes you feel like you're in control and that you you are confident with the decisions that you're making because some people might be not really that confident if they go for a run, they notice pain and it's okay the next day, but they're like, was well, that okay or the exercises that you're doing and progressing those exercises, even though you still have pain, a lot of people, if they don't have the right guidance, would, you know, second guess themselves and that might just lead to a lack of feeling in control. But it seems like, you know, even though something that might second guess one person, like it's happened to you and you've steadied the course and you said, yep, this is exactly what I expect. This is actually acceptable. This is actually um, encouraged. And so let's move forward. And you definitely do need to consider the elements of the psychological benefits of still exercising and still training and You've even allayed a couple of um, stories of, you know, going to a doctor and saying, oh, you have this pain, just don't run, you know, rest. Um, You should should be returning to running once you're all better and how much that can be a shock to your confidence and to your mental state as well. Because as you know, as most people know, running for, for people is a very good release, stress relief and taking that away, you definitely need to, take these considerations on when telling someone not to run, you need to make sure that that's, you know, really justified and knowing that it can be of detriment because you're taking that, that away, which can have true, like if you keep it in, can have so much more um, beneficial psychological elements.
1: Completely. Yeah. Yeah. totally. And so is
0: there any other advice that you might have for someone, any kind of final takeaways, Relating to obviously the the hamstring issue, but um, training principles, just running injuries in general. Anything else that we haven't discussed that you might want to add?
1: Um, I think the we we discussed before the uh, I would say the importance of writing down the training, but not just writing it down because I was writing it down, but actually looking at <laughs> it <laughs> once in a <laughs> while and um, looking at it with the eyes of someone who who is looking for. Um, a spike, a spike in training, because, you know, you can, you can write down every little detail, but if you don't really look at what you're writing down, um, to check if, if what you're doing is gradual enough, then, uh, you may not see the trend. So maybe, uh, and I used to rely just on, you know, Strava or just the Garmin, um, app to kind of just uh, record all of my info but it's not a great way to really visualize all of the the kilometers or all of the different activities that you're doing I found that uh, looking at it in a more visual way just pen and paper is uh, much more helpful so I think that I'm going to be doing that from now on for sure and then just the other idea that um, that I've heard also on the podcast which is um, when you are injured like treating rehab as your new sport. And that's part of the reason why, you know, I guess I um, did all my own research and kind of got interested in, in the whole thing um, because it keeps your mind busy while you're not out there running 18 kilometers. <laughs> so, you know, you're focusing <laughs> on, um, you're still focusing on the body, just in a different way, learning uh, new things and being in control of your own, of your own rehab is really empowering. So um, I found that I haven't kind of gotten down as I, as I had in those eight months of stop, uh, stopping running for the stress fracture. So just uh, yeah, treating that rehab as your new sport, becoming an expert, and being able to feel in control of the whole process for me has been really helpful.
0: Well said, well said. I'll add on to the, when you said writing, it, writing down your activities, but then making sure you look at it. I'd say you can use, like when you write things down, you can also use that information to forecast or plan next week's training cycle because, you know, it makes sense on paper when you write it down on paper. And so you say, this week was 50 kilometers. Next week, I'm only going to do 40. Uh, if last week was 50, let's only do 52 or between 52 and 54 next week. And then you're giving yourself that restriction. And so not to give that... Um, ambiguity or gray zone of like, Oh, how's this run going to go? How's this run going to go? And then it's not until an injury happens that you look back and say, Oh, overdone it. And so many people, when they're not injured and they feel good, that's when they just take down the handbrake and just, um, floor it. And so many people like, Oh, I was meant to go for five kilometers today, but I just felt so good. So I did eight and I did it a bit faster than I should have. And that's only because they're feeling good. And you know, it's only just an injury going to be around the corner and then that injury dictates how much mileage you can do. And so, yeah, if you are writing things down and you are, uh, looking at them, analyzing them, just use them as, as data points to forecast what to do next week. And that can just give you some restrictions and that can just continue building momentum rather than just airy fairy, just going out for a run, just see how you feel. And, you know, um, looking back retrospectively to see that you've done something wrong and love that you talked about the, you know, rehab is your sport because we're not runners, we're athletes. And if someone is a runner and they identify themselves as a runner and then they're injured and they can't run, that sort of identity shift is is really tough for people. And just simple reframing that you're an athlete, rehab is now your sport. This is what you're going to focus on. This is going to help you moving forward. You're going to learn so many lessons about rehab and injury prevention and just building on your, um, just developing you as an an athlete as a whole is a really good shift to focus on and just empowers you throughout the rehab process. So like I said, like the way that you're talking is like me talking back at myself because all the things that you're saying make a ton of sense. Every lesson that you've learned, you've implemented yourself and I just, like seeing that you know you're pushing yourself here and there a little bit of a pain's okay let me progress here let me add mileage here and you're just feeling super in control because and confident just because you've taken on the responsibility to learn it all yourself and this was a great story to have a great success story and I'm glad you came on to share it so thank you very much
1: okay no problem thank you very much
0: who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.